This podcast of Out to Lunch is made possible by FSC Interactive, an online marketing agency specializing in social media, paid search, and search engine optimization. FSC-focused, smart communications empowers customers to take control of their online brands. More at fscinteractive.com. Smart is their middle name. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank, Resource Management, LLC, Luba Workers Comp, and 30 North Investments. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Over the last few years, the word disrupt has found its way into the American business vocabulary. Disruption occurs when a company with a new way of doing things changes business as usual. Amazon, for example, has disrupted retail. Disrupt does not necessarily mean destroy. Uh, Amazon has hurt some brick and mortar stores, but it's also given countless small suppliers access to large markets and put most of America on a first name basis with their UPS driver. Today, I'm gonna to introduce you to two local disruptors. Tom Hayes is New Orleans general manager of Uber. Uber is an international and nationwide car service that disrupts the taxi business, which is in the process of doing here in New Orleans. Uh, Tom, welcome out to lunch. Thanks, thanks for having me. And uh, the, the Lens is an investigative reporting organization that is disrupting the local news media and making waves in other places around town too. The editor of The Lens is Steve Beattie. Steve, welcome out to lunch. Hi, Peter, thanks for having me. Now, Tom, Uber is an app on your phone that you used to call an Uber car, like you'd call a cab, but it's not a cab. It's a guy in his own car because Uber is not technically a cab company. It's not subject to taxi cab regulation. And here in New Orleans, the taxi business has been through a recent major upheaval. Cab drivers have told me that the cost of the city-mandated upgrades to their cars has forced enough of them out of business to explain why there are now frequently long wait times for cabs and complaints on social media about cabs that never even show up. You can see how Uber is great for New Orleans customers, more cars on the road. But cab drivers are complaining that because Uber isn't subject to the same regulations they are, and they've had to fork out all this money for credit card readers and other upgrades, it's not fair that you eat into their business. I mean, how do you balance these arguments, Tom? Yeah, so to, just the very basics, it's, it's an app-based service that you can use to request a ride. So, so essentially, you pull up uh, the app on your phone, and you can show, it'll, it'll identify where your location is based on GPS. You push a button, and a vehicle drives towards you and, and then takes you to wherever you want to go in your destination. And, and at the end of it, your credit card is already on file and simply charged. So it's a very seamless, almost magical experience. Now, now to get back to your question, uh, Uber offers an, a number of different products. So the one that we are working on bringing to New Orleans right now is called Uber Black. And what Uber Black is, is working with existing limo providers and, and companies, people that have gone through whatever 
city certification process there is. These are these um, when you like when you go to Manhattan, you see all these big black town cars. And exactly, stuff. exactly. Yes, we use sedans and, and SUVs, and and basically uh, we'll work with them, and and all the the folks that are on our system will be local and 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 really running their own businesses. All all Uber essentially is is a way to connect that supply and demand. We're a technology company that makes that that experience. Uh, better. So, you know, what, what we're really doing is bringing opportunity to local businesses and, and entrepreneurs. You know, when we've gone into markets, we've seen uh, markets grow. And, you know, one, uh, one recent study that was actually done by Seattle showed that when we came in, the number of, of taxi rides and, and such were, were actually unaffected. And instead, the black car market grew by two times. So, you know, there, there is a way that where we don't actually impact the, the taxi market, but rather just grow the whole pie uh, for the industry as a whole. Well, Steve, my other disruptor, you'd think New Orleans newspapers uh, were disrupted enough already. The uh, Times-Picayune changed the whole concept of the daily paper by going to three days a week, which they touted as the way of the future. And then the advocates started up for as a seven-day-a-week paper uh, to challenge the Times-Picayune. Well, those two are presumably fighting out for, for the same readers and advertisers. Your news outlet, The Lens, doesn't depend on advertising for funding. Readership is free and it's online only. Now that's disruptive. <laughs> Who's your audience and what is the Lens's business model? Well, our, our audience tends to be uh, civically active folks, uh, people who are in positions of influence or people who, who have those, uh, those influencers' ears. And uh, uh, we've been grant funded primarily. A lot of national foundations have stepped up, but we're very much pursuing a model that uh, would be familiar to listeners of WWNO Public Radio or WYES Television. You can become a member of the Lens. Um, you know, $35 a year is our minimum on up to as many zeros as you'd like to add onto your check. Are you going to give tote bags and things? Because uh, uh, that's very actually, essential. Actually, so. if, if you don't have a tote bag, you're not anything. So, yes. <laughs> of course, we've got a tote bag. We've got, uh, we, we thought about putting on the tote bag the saying, you know, no, I'm not leaking these documents to the lens. But uh, <laughs> we, we opted for something different on that. Uh, and uh, we, we have coffee cups. But what we try to do uh, for our, our members is offer them experiences, which is going out to lunch with a reporter. Uh, if they have a particular interest in oh, schools, they can go out to lunch with our schools reporter and talk a little bit. Uh, so we've, we try to appeal to our readership in that way. Um, it's funny you mentioned schools because that's how initially I learned about the lens mm -hmm. is that you were so good at following the charter schools, which uh, it was, is so pervasive here in the city. Yeah, well, and you mentioned the Times-Picayune. I'm, I'm an alum of the Times-Picayune. I was the education editor there for eight years. Uh, education in the city is very dear to my heart. and. Uh, yeah, I'd like to do what we can to make sure everyone pays attention to it. So when we started the lens, I realized that there are these 45 charter school boards that run more than 65 schools, and no news outlet had the ability to cover 45 board meetings a month. So we wrote a grant um, to the Knight Foundation, who helped supply the money that let us start something called the Charter School Reporting Corps, uh, that gets us out to, uh, you know, for the past few years, we've had about a 93% success rate at covering every school board meeting by the charters. Some of it is very mundane, some of it's interesting, some of it is revealing, but the point is no one was doing that before we came along. And in terms of the, the disruption, yeah, there's, there's a newspaper war between the advocate and the Picayune, and you'd think as a nonprofit we'd be kind of like Switzerland in this, <laughs> but, but we're, we're more like the arms dealer trying to sell to both <laughs> sides. We'd, we'd like both sides to pick up our copy and run it, and 
up until recently, <coughs> our, our uh, plan, you, you said we're online only, and while that's true, we have partners in print, radio, and television that's that right. pick up our yeah. copy. So we try to get out on as many uh, media as possible. And, and Tom, you, you, uh, you with an organization we, have a, we talk about a lot on this show is the Teach for America. Yeah, that's right. That's how I, I came down here initially. I, I actually moved down about a month before Katrina hit and taught for a week. Uh, that, that weekend. Uh, <laughs> what a career. I know. Great timing. Um, but uh, going through the, the process after the fact and, you know, once the city started to open back up, uh, started working in schools again and, and worked for the, the organization and, and just absolutely fell in love with the place and, and wanted uh, to be part of, of the recovery. And, and you know, I, I think what has been happening in New Orleans uh, over, over the last 10 years, essentially, has been amazing and, and something that's very exciting to be part of. Well, people have a lot of faith in Uber and the whole concept. I mean, to be fair, there's, what, Lyft and Sidecars, two uh, competitors. Uh, your, your recent financing uh, valued Uber at about eight, over $18 billion. I mean, that's more than Whole Foods is worth or Harley-Davidson or whatever. A lot of optimism. Can it be, can it be met? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to speculate but behind, uh, you know, in what investors are right. thinking, yeah, but, just, uh, but, but we, we are really excited about what we're doing. We're, we're in 162 cities uh, across the, the world currently, and that number is growing almost on a, a daily basis, 42 countries on six continents. Uh, so we, we are really changing how people get around cities, and, and you know, I, I think there is a lot of excitement and interest behind that. And Steve, I have a question for you. You we joked about the, the fundraising a la public radio and such, but um, when when I hear about a lens story uh, on the radio or I hear about it in a newspaper, do you charge them for that? Uh, up to this point, we have not. Uh, that's something that we're in the process of changing right now. Uh, we've been very fortunate to get a lot of uh, national grants that have helped underwrite uh, our operations to this point, but those grants are starting to fall away. There's a push towards sustainability in this, this new media, uh, and we're going to begin a process of selling what to the uninitiated would appear to be an ad on our site, but to those familiar with public radio or television, these are sponsorships and underwriting. So you'll start seeing more items uh, promoting other organizations on our site. Of course, we're going to be charging for that. Uh, likewise, we're uh, negotiating rates with television, newspaper, other outlets that would uh, allow us to make some money off what we do. Um, you know, we've up to this point, we've been like Blanche Dubois, you know, and, and <laughs> dependent on the kindness of strangers. But at this point, we need to be dependent on the kindness of of our partners and those we operate with. And, um, yeah, we, we offer a lot of value and a lot of uh, interesting and, and very experienced reporters. So I, I think there's... Uh, underpinning value to what we offer. And Steve, it seems so novel, but are there other cities that are doing something similar or are you out there on your own? No, there are. We're part of an organization. Uh, there's about 100 of us, uh, nonprofit investigative news sites. Um, San Diego was one of the first to start this. Most of them are statewide organizations. Uh, St. Louis, Minneapolis all have city-based or region-based. Um, so we, we get together every once in a while and, and drink brown liquor and tell lies about how good we're doing and try to steal <laughs> ideas from each other. So, I mean, there are things in San Diego that we've incorporated here. Uh, the Texas Tribune in Austin, uh, I've met with the guy who runs that, and uh, 
you know, try to steal as many ideas as I can. And then we farm out our ideas to others as well. So we're part of a, a movement a growing, you know, movement's one of those weird words. Uh, we're part of a new industry uh, of nonprofit journalism that started probably about seven or eight years ago. And we came along when a lot of them were popping up. So uh, it, it's an interesting thing uh, to, to create something new in journalism, but uh, you know, we like to disrupt, as you say. Well, so. you're, you're perfect for this, Steve. This is, the, yeah. you know, it's time to do the checklist. This is the part of the show where you, we take a little break to ask you a quick question that you probably wouldn't find on a loan application. I'm, I'm gonna start with Tom. I, Tom, I know you're actually uh, in the process of doing some hiring to get, get built up here, so I thought of this yeah. as a, what's your favorite question to ask someone in an interview? That's a great question. Uh, speaking of questions, uh, <laughs> so I, I, when I, when I get into an interview, uh, I, I find the best way to to find out you know what is really going on is is to actually ask you know if I asked your manager currently what would they tell me uh, ab- about your strengths or, or weaknesses as opposed to just what your strengths or weaknesses are because uh, it, it gives that that kind of accountability uh, mm-hmm. for people to to kind of give the the most upfront uh, upfront answer. Very good, very good, and, and Steve. Um, You've come back here because you love the city, but I'll ask you this question. If, if you could change one thing about New Orleans, what would it be? Oh, wow. Uh, just one? <laughs> yeah, yeah no. We'll give you a couple. Of <laughs> um, boy, I'm really stuck on that one. Um, I mean, there, there's so many things I love. The, part of the problem is that the culture that makes this city the best to live in and the best to enjoy yourself is the thing that makes it hard to get anything accomplished. So, you know, when you want to, when you want service from someplace and you go to it and, and they're thinking about what they did last night or recovering from what they did last night, you know, it's hard to get that, the the level of service you might expect, uh, whether that's at the DMV or, uh, you know, your local fast food joint. Um, you know, I wish there was a clear delineation between work and play, but here it seems to be the play gets into everything. But then again, that's why I moved back. You know, it's, it's that culture that you don't find anywhere else. And I'll, I'll skip things like streets and water and all that. That's, that's too easy. I've met a nice man in town that can help you there. Right. Uh, now, Steve, tell me about the vault. Yeah, this is uh, an open data initiative that we've started uh, in the past few months. Uh, We started off by posting more than 5,300 city contracts that are completely searchable. Uh, So if the name Peter Raschuti comes up in the 357th page of a contract, you will know it by going to our website and typing in your name. Uh, This helps people understand who's getting contracts, who's a subcontractor. We actually offer more uh, contracts than are available on the city website, and the city's website is only searchable by major fields. Ours is completely searchable. And, uh, and last week we uh, added to this open data initiative the database of all city salaries. So any city employee or anyone who's paid through the city payroll, um, you, can, you can seek out what their budgeted salary is. And we hope to expand that into other agencies, uh, school boards, and, and people should have a right to understand what their public servants are making. So and it's, it, it's be been it. very well received, um, and this is the start of uh, a lot more data initiatives that we have where we're going to produce uh, maps of property transfers so you can scroll through with the timeline and see what neighborhoods are hot uh, unlike what you might see in the paper every Saturday which just lists it by text you'll be able to see what sold and for how much so that's and we've got some other 
items up our sleeve that we're going to roll out into the vault. <laughs> now, Steve, one of the great things about having you on the show is that you're a reporter. You have any, any questions you think we left yeah, out? Yeah, well, let me, let me ask Tom. Um, you know, you talked about the process of this with people already having the, for the, lack, for the familiar term, a, a taxi cab medallion. Does that increase the number of vehicles that are on the street, or does it make the vehicles more, uh, more in use 24-7? And, and as a follow-up, even before you answer, um, where are we in the political process of getting this approved or denied by the city council? Yeah, so right, you know, to, to answer your first question, the CPNCs are issued by vehicle class. So there are CPNCs that are designated for taxi cabs, and there are uh, CPNCs that are designated for, for what are termed limos or uh, what we would fall under with, with Uber Black with our sedans and, and SUVs. Uh, to, to tie it into your set. And, and that number is limited. There's so many taxi cabs, there's so many town so, cars. So there, there is a, a uh, roof on the taxi cab CPNCs, there's not on the limo CPNCs. Now, where we are in, in the process, so we've, we've been meeting with the, the mayor for, for a number of months. He proposed uh, legislation through uh, council members that, that is now currently in front of the city council. Today, actually, we, we just met uh, with the, the transportation committee in a public meeting, and they elected to move uh, the legislation to the full council. And we expect that to go in front of the full council on August 14th. And in terms of our position, uh, we're, we're very happy with some of the stipulations in, in the proposed ordinance. It would allow limos to, to charge based on, on time and distance, where previously to book a limo, you had to book for a minimum of three hours and only allowed to be charged based on, on time. Uh, however, the, the ordinance uh, currently as it stands uh, dictates a $25 minimum uh, to be spent in a, in a sedan ride, and, and, and there are a few other minimums, but it, that is, is would limit consumer choice, essentially, and, and, and price some people out of the market, and, and it would uh, artificially constrain drivers from taking people on rides that th they both actually want, want to do. So that's one issue. The, the second is that we have a, uh, that there are a couple of, of stipulations that make it really hard for an entrepreneur to enter the market. So right now, uh, to start a limo company in New Orleans, you have to actually own two stretched limos. Uh, to, to start. So we think that is, that is actually not good for, for maybe a f someone who's been a driver for years, who wants to get into the business, have his own vehicle, uh, that would be preventative to him. So we're, we're urging for, for that to, to, to disappear. But so, so the, you know, to, to go back to your first question, theoretically, we could see the, the number of CPNCs uh, increase, and, and we think that would be good because the demand has been overwhelming, and, and we think we'll be able to meet it. However, we also think that the existing CPNCs will get more use because, you know, it, it, as it stands right now, they will have maybe a run in the morning, a run in the afternoon, Uber can help them fill the, the gap and provide services to customers in the interim while making the company and, and the driver more money. And Tom, what have the battles been like in other cities? I think uh, even Baton Rouge has been uh, discussing this. How do, is it easier in some cities to get this going than others? Uh, 
Yeah, Baton Rouge uh, approached us. The, the city government and, and business leaders in, in the community actually came to us and said, we want Uber and, and we want to introduce ride sharing and, and how quickly can you get this done? Um, and and with, uh, in collaboration with them, uh, there was ride sharing legislation uh, introduced and, and passed in, in, a, in a really short period of, of time. And we're actually now up and running in Baton Rouge for, for a little over two weeks now. Wow. And, and I like and the, is that Uber X or Uber Black or both? What so, do you have there in Baton Rouge? So that's actually Uber X uh, that, that we have there. They, they specifically asked for the ride sharing ordinance and, and put legislation in uh, in place to, to actually govern how that operates. And, and we were very much in support of that. I've tried to get a cab in Baton Rouge and I can see why they called you actually. Well, have you taken folks from city council or anybody in a position to make these decisions to Baton Rouge? To let them see what's going on up there? Yeah, we, we have not taken a field trip yet, uh, but we would certainly welcome the opportunity. Uh, to you could probably find a car yeah. to take <laughs> We would certainly welcome the opportunity to, to take our council members and, and mayor up there. We're, we're already seeing great success. Uh, the, the demand has been in, incredible, and, and we are, are just thrilled to be able to, to, to be in Baton Rouge, the, the first city in Louisiana, and we hope New Orleans is, is not far behind. You know what surprised me is I was thinking that this would all be larger cities. And, uh, but when I started to look at your client list, I mean, Kalamazoo, Michigan and such, yeah. is, it's really mid-sized, small size. Yeah, we started in, in the larger cities in, in the U.S. We launched in San Francisco and, and then went into Chicago, New York, L.A. Uh, but recently, we've, we've really been trying to give that experience to everyone. We feel like... No matter where, whether you're in the largest city in, in the U.S. Or, or a smaller one, you deserve the best transportation options. And, and by using technology to help facilitate that, it will make it easier for people to, to get around the city. And, and both the drivers and the consumers will win. Tom Hayes, Steve Beattie, Uber and The Lens are both great examples of disruption. Your companies are changing the local business landscape here in New Orleans. And your personal contributions to the city are notable, too. We'll keep following everything you're doing with interest and hope to catch up with you both again in the near future. Thanks so much for joining me on Out to Lunch. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Great guests. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Tom Hayes, general manager of Uber New Orleans, and Steve Beatty, editor of The Lens. You can find out more about Tom's transportation and Steve's stories, great alliteration there, by following the links on our websites, www.wno.org and itsneworleans.com. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. The often underestimated Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can get this show as a podcast, you can listen to past shows, and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, itsneworleans.com and wwno.org. Support for Out to Lunch comes from PreSonus Audio Electronics. Information about Baton Rouge-based PreSonus is online at presonus.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, online at joneswalker.com. Additional support provided by Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank, Resource Management, LLC, Lupa Workers Comp, and 30 North Investments.